Hey, I'm Julia. And I'm Sam. And you're listening to the 29-Hour Podcast. This week, we talk to musical theater writer Zach Zadick. Enjoy! The newest, most groundbreaking things, I don't, I personally don't think that they were created with that idea in head. Like, what's, sure. who's going to buy this? Like, what's, like, that's, like, I think that there's a commodification of, I think there's a commod. Like, uh, people use the word content a lot, right? Like in in 2018, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's like, it's wonderful, and like content is great. We all make content, whatever that means. But this is content, right? We're like, this is content. <laughs> but I think there's a difference, and this is maybe uh, what's the word? This is maybe controversial. But like, I I think there's a difference between like like just content and like being an artist a content creator and artist yeah. and i think that there there's a lot of overlap right you you can be doing both at once and content can be art but i think that we're commodifying so like that in, in, even in music it's like well who's who's your audience for this like what what's what genre is this we're like to try to put things in boxes for audiences and the things you're making and i just don't think the the best things are made with that mindset like yeah. i don't i don't know if i mean I, i'm just guessing but like i don't think that lin-manuel miranda sat down to make hamilton be like Hmm, like I want to capture like this commercial audience right. and he's just making something amazing that he wanted to make. Right. I don't know. This is my uh, just thoughts. What yeah. do you think? I would it's interesting like it does make me wish that like every artist had like a Siamese twin producer that like cuz yeah. I do feel like there is like an artistry to sort of like taking an existing raw material that is good and then like judging it or you know just putting it out in the world in a way that helps it. Yeah. Like Without, you know, I agree that, like, the top-down, like, I will write this melody in this way because I think that's really going to hit with the tweens. Like, that seems real bad. But, like, I would be curious. It's interesting also, like, I don't know any, like, young producers or, like, young marketing people who, like, you know, I could, like, partner with and, like, they would just show me how to do everything. But, like, I do think almost any art can, like benefit for people who are actually experts in that as opposed to trying yeah. to do it ourselves oh i agree a hundred percent but like i think the beauty is that like that's not a question that you necessarily have to be have to answer i think it's important to when they say know the audience for your show i think it's important that there is an audience for your show yeah, yeah, yeah. right because like you want people to see the show and it's a show and like <laughs> otherwise it's it i think that that's how you can make something somewhat self-indulgent if you're not thinking about the people who are going to be watching the yeah. thing but I think once you like have been like this, I'm making this for other people, other human beings, then like make, I, I don't know. I was reading, um, I love collecting, <laughs> this is so nerdy. I have like a bunch of the, like, I love the coffee table books that go along with Broadway shows. Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't Do, even know that was a thing. Yeah. Like, like I feel like the first one I got was the wicked one in sure. like middle school. The Grimmery, I think it's called, oh, based wow. on, from the book in the show. I know. I'm, I'm trying to like, I'm, I'm trying to like, hide the nerd level. And then they take out like the rent one for the mm-hmm. rent anniversary. Um, but now it's like a thing I feel like that a lot of shows do. Yeah. And I love them because they sort of are like tomes of like the behind, usually the best ones like are like they're tomes in the top of the, of the book about like interviewing the writers and the producers and the designers and how it was made. And then the, the, the second half is generally like the libretto of the show yeah. mm-hmm. with like annotations. It's great. If you like, are like want to know about musicals, it's like wonderful. But I was reading the great comment one recently and I was just struck by so much of what, Dave Malloy and Rachel Chafkin talk about is they were just making like Comet is so groundbreaking and it like defies a bunch of conventions 
but they were just like they came from the downtown theater world they were just making the thing that felt honest to both of them mm-hmm. and that's why it was groundbreaking and amazing and like, you know what i mean like i like they were thinking about the art part yeah, yeah. And i think we should leave i don't know sometimes you have to leave the non-art yeah. part to the other people that is really i mean i think especially because we talk so much about like the emerging musical theater scene here like that that is a thing that isn't really a part of it like when you're when you're first bursting into the industry it's very rare that you have like another person worrying about the the business side of it and i like what you were saying like i wonder how different it would be if people sort of like didn't have to do that on their own and could completely focus on the art part of it and not worry so much about like getting themselves out there yeah but on the other hand i feel like if left to their own devices i feel like most writers will just focus on the art part but then like maybe to the detriment of their own careers right that's what i'm saying is like uh, i've definitely witnessed some writers like making a name for themselves faster than others because they seem better at the marketing and like finding the finding the audience like quickly yeah i don't know i think there's a difference though there's a difference between marketing yourself and then like writing the work based on right. something yeah right? totally like getting your stuff out there i i actually really think is important and valuable yeah. and like you have to do that right but i it's st- like you julia you've talked a lot about joe like on this show right <laughs> but like i feel like joe just makes the stuff that he wants to make and then yeah. it gets out there because it's a he's a good he does a good job of getting out there but also because it's the it's he's making this honest amazing thing that yeah. people want because it's they want it and it's what he's making like i don't think that i i i just think the distinction is like when you're making stuff for like it's like right. we have to like focus group what we're writing right yeah ugh. I've, that's another thing that my Silicon Valley friends have often asked me, like, can, you know, is there a way that you can, like, quantify your feedback and, like, use it to improve in a systematic way? And, like, I've thought a lot about that. Like, you know, like, when political people give speeches and literally, like, the audience has their hand on a dial and they twist the dial to the right when they're engaged and to yeah. the left when they're not. I can't picture that working for musical theater. Yeah, there's, Although, like, so many elements at play at once. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking the other thing you said, though, that, the flip side of, uh, you know, an artist just making something and it speaks to a bunch of people and that that's so beautiful. It's so sad to think that you can be an artist and just like making your thing and being like, this is exactly what I want to do. And it just doesn't speak to anyone. I feel like that occurs so often and it's so sad. Yeah, no, you're absolutely you're right. <laughs> but like, I think that I'm amazed that I'm amazed at the diversity of audiences and by diversity, I, I like literally just mean like the bunch of different audiences that there are. Like I've seen a bunch just living in New York, right? Like have you guys seen, like I've seen some weird ass downtown <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> like stuff that I've been like, I don't like personally, I don't connect with this. I don't mm-hmm. understand. I don't even understand what it is, but there's an audience for it, right? People yeah. watch it. And like, I've seen some people walk out of this, like a show and then they're like, this is very moving to yeah. me. And like, that's great. Yeah. Like just cause oh, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like I think that, I also think that we have to remember because musical theater, I think, Julia, I'm curious what you're like when you, how you decide you wanted to like start writing musical theater. Cause mm-hmm. but when I was like, I didn't really understand there's a distinction between like Broadway and like 
commercial off Broadway mm-hmm. or like nonprofits or like I just like Broadway was the people who did the shit like mm-hmm. like I didn't even understand the idea that like producers weren't the people who like owned the theaters like yeah, yeah. it just seemed like Broadway did shows and those <laughs> were the ones that were shows yeah. you know what I mean but like just once you move beyond that distinction it's like maybe not every show is a commercial Broadway show and that's fine like you can still have a lot of value beyond that but yeah, yeah. I'm curious yeah yeah I mean I think the shows that were like my first favorite shows, I grew up in Ithaca, so I would always go see musicals at the Hangar Theater. So that was, I mean, you know, I would take trips to New York and like see things with my parents, but I feel like Falsettos and Sweeney Todd were two shows that I saw in regional theater when I was little and fell absolutely in love with. So I feel like I always, maybe it's also like just having, like being maybe not the most ambitious person I know, but I don't think I ever even pictured myself writing for Broadway. Did you picture yourself writing for the Hangar Theater? I still picture myself <laughs> writing for the Hangar Theater. That's amazing. But, yeah. but see, it's interesting. Those, both those shows were like, you know, they are Broadway shows. Yeah. No, totally. They just yeah. were being done at the Hangar Theater. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, like, something like Falsettos to me feels a little bit different than, like, Wicked. I mean, it's a little, maybe quirky is the wrong word, but, like... When you, th- when you think of a Broadway musical, you the first one you think of isn't usually falsettos. Yeah. 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 Um, can we, I'm kind of curious. You kind of asked Julia about how she sort of got into wanting to write or like knowing about theater. I'm kind of curious about you because yeah. I don't really know you. <laughs> no, I know. We're meeting for the first time <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, I So I... Um, like the the short version of the long version is like I was like really uh, it's like a very little kid I was just like really wanted to be involved in music in some way like uh-huh. when I was like very very young I started taking classical piano lessons when I was like three um, and that was really like my first like experience to music was just classical music and specifically classical piano um, and then at the same time my mom <laughs> took me to the JCC on Long Island and like like in the pool area like i like auditioned for like the woman who like did the shows at the (laughs) jcc um and like my mom was like because i also like fell in love with my favorite the music that i like was i guess exposed to but also really loved as a little kid wow i'm giving you the long version of the long version um was like i loved i loved classical music and i loved the cassette tapes to fiddler on the roof and the sound of music and i also watched i also i i literally think i might have broken the vhs's of the movies of mary poppins and the sound of music like i watched them so many times Uh every day maybe so i was like that i I guess was my like my first first thing but i then uh, in this pool area like i auditioned for the lady who did the shows she's like you sir like should be in my shows so i was like like in kindergarten (laughs) like i was started doing shows at the jcc on long island um and I was like in the Wizard of Oz and like did all these like, you know, like community theater shows. And then sort of those were like my two things as a kid. Right. Like I did the shows at the JCC, the musicals, and I played classical piano mm-hmm. and the two had nothing to do with each other. Right. And like it didn't even occur to me actually that they were related in any way. It's like huh. they're just two different. Like those are my two hobbies. Right. Mm-hmm. And then. <laughs> and then so two things. One is that my teacher who was super strict told me if it's not classical music, it's not music. Your like, piano teacher. My piano teacher, uh-huh. yes. That's I had a, a very terrible thing to say. Terrible thing to say, right? He came from a... Uh, he uh, he was like this very strict Lithuanian classical concert pianist who like only took on very serious students mm-hmm. who like were like going to play concertos one day. 
And like that was like I was like I I remember my first album that I bought on this uh, the first CD I ever bought me being like I bought like my parents <laughs> bought for me was from this new site called Amazon. It had just mm-hmm. I remember talking you could get stuff like from your computer and they'd bring it to you. <laughs> and it was uh, the Backstreet Boys Millennium. Mm. And I remember I got that CD and I got Oops I Did It Again by Britney Spears. Mm. I played them on the stereo for my teacher and I was like, well, oh, like what about this? He's like, it's not no, you can't play what would it be? You can't play on the piano. Like, no, it's not music. <laughs> I was like, okay. This is so interesting to me because to interject, so like from hearing you play now, I think of you as a musician who's like really rooted in groove and feel, <laughs> which is so funny to hear that like so much of your original musical education was not the opposite. Yeah, yeah. As part of I, there was a reboot involved, okay. <laughs> um, but no groove and feel. I mean, I was playing like you know uh, etudes. Um, which I mean, there's a, I guess you could argue that there is a groove and feel in etudes, <laughs> but it's a very different one, right? Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. So uh, as I got older and I kept doing the community theater and I started doing like, once you get to junior high school, there's like, you know, junior high school shows now. Um, I started wanting, I started just like when I wasn't practicing, cause I didn't want to practice classical music. I really actually didn't really like it that much playing it. I just, it was just sort of the thing I always did, but I mm-hmm. sort of grew to like, I didn't have the discipline to want to play the same passage like mm-hmm. for hours. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it. So instead I started buying like folios of musical theater scores um, and learning like just sort of teaching myself a how to play like theater songs and B like I was like hanging out with all the, I was becoming a theater kid and like, I'd be mm-hmm. like, Hey, I can play like the score <gasps> to Greece now. Like I can play wicked like, and be like, Oh wow. Like there's a whole world of piano, which was again, where I was coming from. That is, not this it's just different right and i can engage with me the with the theater in a way that i wasn't i wasn't connecting the two um <laughs> sorry you guys <laughs> we're just are, looking at you, you guys are looking at me like very rough in the story and I'm, a, i hope it's interesting no oh, it it's is very interesting. interesting as a side note for your musical theater piano folios i too would get those i also you know studied classical piano but i didn't become super virtuosic and i also had a very serious pia- classical piano teacher who tried to like soft core fire me because i think <laughs> like i got to the point where i wasn't you know really practicing like more than an hour a day and she at one year was like this year i only have slots during the school day Would mine that did that you? too <laughs> not that specific maybe. yes they try to it's part of like their manual of like how to like threaten you <laughs> i think so oh, oh that wow. makes you feel so much better oh yeah but i almost I got dropped also, all the time oh man what were you saying i was so i would also get the musical theater folios and i feel like i just i can play like the easy song from all my favorite musicals <laughs> like i can play like holding to the ground from falsettos i can play like there's like one in sweeney todd oh joanna is the one you can play from sweeney todd that's still that's there's some complex uh, <laughs> passages in that though but there's a whole bunch of that score that's like nope 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 i'll just play joanna again <laughs> yeah 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 anyway so you get to middle school high school you're merging the things i'm merging the things right 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 um and then i feel like just from first of all i still at my parents house like there's still boxes boxes of folios i mean that literally like i started like like, like the coffee table books like first it was the folios i started collecting all the folios and this is before you could download like illegal sheet music there was no like it was just like you had to have the folios not that i would advocate downloading illegal sheet music ever but um but the thing from playing through those is in classical music, at least the way I was taught, like there wasn't a lot. I, d- I did have some like basic theory training, but 
I wasn't really thinking about like harmony in terms of what I was playing. There was sort of at least the way I was playing classical piano at, at that young of an age. It was just like, these are the instructions on the, on the page right. and I should move my fingers in that way and like feel it. But like not really analyzing the harmony, but as a consequence of playing through these theater scores, I started realizing like, oh, like, like this is actually a chord, right? Like just to, uh, trying to understand like what, how, how these are working, right? Like how songs are working. And I, I just sort of like went on this like journey of self-discovery of like under, like trying to learn what, what harmony is and try to learn how songs are put together and like trying to understand like, Oh, right. This says like C slash E like that, that right. That's what that this means. Right. Like, and, and then starting to learn how to record symbols, that kind of thing. So eventually there was this epiphany moment when I was in middle school of like, oh my God, people write musicals. Like humans write them. <laughs> because like, I don't know, like Beethoven, like, you know, Beethoven wrote Beethoven when he was Beethoven. Right. But he's not Beethovening it anymore. Right. But like, people are still writing musicals. And like, I remember when Wicked came out, that was like this, like the hot new musical when I was like in elementary school. It's like, oh my God, Wicked was born. It didn't used to exist and now Wicked exists. Yeah. Long story short, um, from then on, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to write musicals. It was like when I was like in seventh grade, I was like, wow. that's the thing. That's that's the that's the long version. Can I ask for an even longer version? Sure. Like, <laughs> I'm curious, like, how then did you like find yourself here? I mean, I guess it sounds like you grew up on Long Island. I did grow up on so Long Island. You're yes. nearby. But like, how did you how did you how did you actually go from that epiphany to like starting to make your way into the actual industry totally yes i gave you the childhood the childhood <laughs> emotional history version um oh no and i i'm grateful <laughs> for it but i just want a longer version so okay th that epiphany right um so i started writing songs like as a kid um and the first i wrote i stopped playing classical piano, piano right i started playing jazz i i start i like retrain like i like tried to like honestly jason robert brown was like a huge huge part of like my journey as mm -hmm. a writer i think it's for so many writers yeah. like of our generation but like seeing the way that he treated the instrument that i had like a lifelong relationship with like that also really really was another epiphany for me um so I started writing songs, like not even theater songs, right? Like the first step to like, it was like, I like, like, what is a song? Like, how do you write uh -huh. a song? I remember I was listening to Find Your Grail from, uh, from Spamalot, uh -huh. like in the, in the parking lot uh, at the Verizon store. <laughs> like, it's just, this is like nonsense stuff. And being like, oh, wow. Like this, these are the same chords as like Pockbell's Canon. Like, like, like I could write a song like this, right? Mm -hmm. Writing songs. I wrote a musical, like after writing songs for a few years, uh, I was like, oh, I like decided to myself, like, okay, I'm ready to try to write a musical, like, just because, like, today is the day that I feel <laughs> like I could try this. So I wrote this musical that I convinced my high school to do, um, as like a like a bonus production that year. And the I you add, like we, it's funny we started a conversation like how do musicals like happen and like how do you get involved like to me the only route I knew of to like be, for a musical to become a real musical was nymph because huh. i found it online and also i vaguely knew i knew title of show uh -huh. mm -hmm. had already happened i was like that's like title of show is going to broadway and they started at nymph so that must mean that shows that are written by normal people start at nymph and go to broadway because <laughs> that makes sense right <laughs> so i submitted it to nymph like while we started rehearsals at my high school okay and i was like okay fine and we're in rehearsals for the high school show and then I remember finding out like that it was a finalist at Nymph uh, 
when we were like going into like tech week at my high school and i was like oh my goodness like this could be a real show now like like even though we're just doing it at my high school it didn't end up making it to the final cut that year but because of that i like met with like the director of programming at nymph who was like like you should try these notes and like i actually mm. think this could be a show and like i was like okay great and like i learned about stuff from my high school production of it wow um and like i put a song online that i wrote a camp and like some concert producers of a thing at joe's pub like for a hurricane katrina relief like found this song that i wrote with my camp for my camp friends and was like you should this was honestly my first professional experience right uh -huh. my first professional <laughs> this is such a long version i really hope this is interesting it's very interesting um i i wrote this song like for the, our last day of camp cabaret it was about like leaving camp i wrote it with a friend of mine um and like i put it online we, i went to a, <laughs> i went to a recording studio we recorded this version and put it on soundcloud the producers of like a joe's pub like it's like the equivalent of like broadway sings to, like for hurricane katrina right. mm -hmm. found this song i'm not sure if they knew that i was like in 10th grade <laughs> um and we're like you should like we'd like to include this as the opening number of like this hurricane like broadway sings katrina <laughs> right it wasn't called that i promise i don't remember the exact name. <laughs> but and i was like i've arrived like this is it like joe's pub Joe's uh -huh. Pub, like this is where the people on YouTube do it. Like <laughs> I'm gonna have a song there. Like this is real, and like uh, they got. Uh, but I had also gone through the audition process to be in the band of thirteen. I didn't end up making it. But Aaron Simon Gross, this amazing like actor who played Archie in the show and thirteen, who was my age, uh, uh -huh. <laughs> like they're like we're gonna contact uh, Aaron to sing the song, and I was like a Broadway actor is going to sing one of my <laughs> songs. And like we did this song at Joe's pub and the combination as weird as it sounds of like having one of my songs at Joe's pub sung by someone on Broadway with musicians that played on Broadway mm -hmm. in high school with like being a finalist at nymph. They mm -hmm. sound like so small, but like the, that was, that were, those were my two experiences. Like I, maybe I could like, maybe there's a world in which I could do this because like those felt like little triumphs to me. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, should I keep going? Is that uh, yeah. okay? All right. Um, so basically, I did those two things, and then I had to like go to college, like, and I, I was still sort of under the impression. I don't. Well, I'll, I quickly want to interrupt my <laughs> long tail to ask, like, Julia, when did you like decide that you were going to be, or try to be, a professional musical theater writer? Yeah. So, I feel like I knew from like middle school high school that I wanted to do a collaborative music thing mm. and for a long time I thought I wanted to do film scoring so I spent most of college doing that thinking that that was what I wanted to do and then when I was applying to grad schools I applied mainly to like straight up composition programs film scoring programs and this one musical theater program mm. and I don't know I think part of it was like the autonomy of musical theater was appealing after working with so many film directors where they have such strong ideas you know it feels much more interpretive than generative in some ways yeah and part of it was visiting the nyu program and being like wow like this just seems really like fun yeah but i feel like i don't know it's a weird thing with like be a professional musical theater writer because i feel like you know like every like so I go to an accountant to do my taxes and for the, you know, I feel like every year we have this, the conversation about like what to do with the musical theater income and whether to categorize it as a hobby or like a business. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to like, I feel committed, like very committed that like, I want to be 
writing musicals and like getting as far as I can for the rest of my life. But like, I don't know. I feel like, you know, it's very possible that I'll have a life where this will never be my sole source of income. Right. And like, I'm at peace with that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, it depends on what you define, like what you, what the, it's funny, you guys were talking to, I forgot which episode I was listening to. You're talking about, I think it was with Will Aronson. Mm -hmm. You're talking about goals, right? Yeah, yeah. And like, I guess it depends on what you want your goal to be. And like, for me at least, it's like, it's always been, like I've always had these like crazy pipe dream goals, like that I like genuinely like i would i would move them from the dream category into like crazy goal category Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then i don't really think about those that often i feel like i just think about these like much more practical goals that feel just as important at the time Uh right and like it depends on what those are for all of us yeah because i feel like i definitely feel really invested in like the shows i'm writing like i have specific ambitious goals for like what i want you know where i want this show to go and where i want that show to go and like like i would just love to have like something published like licensed and published yeah that that seems like a good goal yeah that's like professional (laughs) very of course absolutely that's that's a thing well what goals are you working towards right now well like for me like like i like the most practical goal is like i would love to have a show like in new york Mm -hmm. yeah like at a theater in new york reviewed by all the things all the places that review shows that go up in new york Mm -hmm. and like that's like i can't like like i can see sort of beyond that to like crazy goals but like that is like the most like tangible like that is like that is the immediate goal right but like similarly back when i was really just starting out like i really couldn't see past like doing a concert in the like the concerts that i started falling in love with on youtube Mm -hmm. right like that to me was like maybe someday I'll write a musical that would be done somewhere. But really what I really want is I just want to do a concert like those guys do. Uh Right. And like, that's all that mattered. It's, and I I think that like, I kind of, I, I feel like that might be useful just because it's like, it's too, like you can't just climb Mount Everest. Right. Right. Like it's just, that's not really helpful. You have to like, sort of like be like, I have to just climb this section of like a mountain first. Like otherwise you're just going to die. And it is also useful to be able to like, milk the excitement and pride out of like once you do a concert like this is exciting i've done a concert oh totally yeah and it's not just like i i feel like i feel like zero cynicism about like doing musical theater like it's like it's like we like it's i i every time like this is amazing like we get to do this like i don't know you know what i mean like and like, i think it's important to let yourself feel the little wins yeah yeah totally do you have similar things with like goals and because you if you if you went into college not not even necessarily sure you were gonna like come out an actor right? yeah yeah although yeah my thing is i don't know if i've talked about this on the podcast but i did i didn't go to college thinking i was gonna study theater i like auditioned for the intro to theater class and didn't get in i was like on the wait the two-person wait list and the <laughs> other person got in and i didn't no. um and then the summer, oh, I think I have talked about this, but the summer between my freshman and sophomore year was the out-of-town tryout of the Chorus Line revival mm-hmm. in San Francisco, which is where I'm from. So I was home for the summer, and I saw it, and it, like, completely, like, reinvigorated my love of theater. Like How watch, old were you? I was, I was 
19. Okay. It was you, the summer after my freshman year of college. You, okay, got it, got it, got it, yeah. And um, I saw that production of these people who were, like, so desperately trying to make it. I mean, th- mm. it's about dance specifically, and, like, I'm not a dancer, but, like, I related to them in terms of, like, their the hunger they had for working in that industry. And I, like, realized, like, I didn't want to have a life where I wasn't a part of it. And so I went back to school, I auditioned again and like got in this time and like went whole hog yeah. and moved straight to New York right after to do to do it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Uh, so your question is about like goals on the long term or like I not to be all like psychoanalyzing. But, like <laughs> I see you as someone who has it within himself to be like self-critical about like a goal that like you feel like you should have achieved. Oh, yeah. Do you also let yourself have the triumphs <laughs> of things you have achieved? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's, for me, that's just like a personal, like, um, uh, I don't want to say self-esteem thing, but like, <laughs> you know, something like that where it's just sort of like, uh, oh, it's like an imposter syndrome thing mm-hmm. for me where it's like, who am like, like, yes, I've made it, I've done this thing and it's awesome, but like, pretty soon they're going to find out that I really didn't belong there. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's the thing for me. Um, but I'm very happy about like, I, like I have, I have definitely like hyperventilated when I've gotten offers for certain things because Aww. I'm just that excited. I'm, I also feel completely uncynical about musical theater and like when I get to work on really exciting things, it's like, I, I, I don't know if I told you this, but uh, the first time we worked on, uh, the Anita Bryant show and you s- I think you sent me like a MIDI file of there is always pie like you sent all the sheet music and then uh-huh. MIDI files and I was like listening to the MIDI file of there is always pie reading along in the sheet music and I started crying because it was like so exciting that, I want to like, know someone- the show now oh, oh yeah it's an amazing show um, so this is this what became the loneliest girl in the world that we just did a production of in San Diego that Sam starred in oh my goodness it's amazing I yeah. love that story so much. Because it was just like so exciting and overwhelming to me that like someone wanted me <laughs> to like be a part of singing this music. And like for me, what I what I find it particularly exciting is like being the first to hear mm-hmm. it or or like it doesn't even have to be about me being the first to sing it. It's just like the first huh. to hear it. I remember okay. when I was doing that concert series, when I first moved to the city, I was doing this concert series. Um, each month we featured a different like new composer. And I remember one. What was it called? It was called Next. Um, I feel like I watched a lot of videos from this yeah, series. Yeah, we had we have a bunch of videos on <laughs> on YouTube still. What year um, was this? It was 2009, 2010. Yeah, so I remember like vividly in the when I like the high school videos I'm talking about. Like those videos were like very much some of them. That's you guys so, so crazy. Wild. That's so. A hundred percent. I'm not just saying that. Um, but I remember one. Um, the some of some of the concerts, the composers were more involved, some were less involved. But there was one where the composer himself played the concert and like was very involved in like um, material selection. And I remember I went over to his apartment and he played me some songs that like he was like no one's ever heard these before, and I was like in heaven because it was so <laughs> exciting to me to like be there at the ground floor I love that. yeah it's amazing that's <laughs> so amazing i wish that everybody listening could see um your face right now because <laughs> yeah. it's just like so wonderful yeah i'm realizing that actually that's a thing that as a writer you can take for granted because i feel like we do so much of you know like 
writer's group or stuff like that where you're constantly hearing fresh material. And I guess you can forget that, like, that is really cool. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, it's... I still, yeah, I feel that way when I hear songs in, in those environments. Like I remember Julia, like we met in an environment very similar to that yeah. at Goodspeed. Um, and you know, when I heard your work for the first time with you, I was like, what is this? Like, I've never heard anything like this. And like, I'm, that's the, those are the most exciting moments I think when that it's like, that was an exciting yeah. retreat. Cause I remember hearing your work for the first time, the same experience, hearing the Grace McLean show about Hildegard von Bingen. Like, yeah, which is just a different universe. Like, yeah. what is this? Like, it's like, it's um, that never gets old. And the way that that retreat was structured, too, was like, it was literally, you'd like, if I'm remembering right, it was like you'd write for a day, then show up that evening and like sort of show what you had. So it was super, super raw. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Also that, I wanted to draw in. So at that retreat where I met Zach, he gave me like, lessons on using Ableton, which I was like <laughs> desperately trying to learn about. So I wanted to talk about sort of like the acoustic versus the electronic and like A, how you learned about all that stuff and B, how you think about like what colors to use when. Yeah, yeah, totally. I've, I have such, I, I've really vivid memory. For some reason that week was very like, that was like one of the better experiences like that. I felt like, yeah, right. Yeah, like for me too, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes I just strike out at writer's retreats and I can't get anything done. And I spend the whole time being mad at myself that I'm not getting enough done. Yeah. It was like both productive. And also I like, I actually legitimately made so many real friends that week. Like, yeah. like, I don't know, like you and I have like hung out since then. And it's like, true. like Nico, like, I don't know a bunch of people. Sokolakis. No, oh. his name is Nico Benson. Oh, okay. Another the other, the Nico. other Nico. <laughs> Another good Nico. Um, so yes, I came over. It was like also like we were. This is just like random information, but like it was so icy. Do you remember? Like I remember going it over your like your not hut, your little house <laughs> to like teach you like to go through some Ableton stuff and like almost killing myself on the steps because they oh were like no. so icy. So anyway, <laughs> um, what was the question, Julia? I literally just riffed on nonsense. Um, about electronic versus acoustic. Oh yes, when yes. to use what, and also just how you got into that whole electronic yes, world. Yes. So, um, that's kind of a good, uh, it's a, it's a great question because it, it, it sort of picks up to what we were talking about. Right. So then I went to college, right. Like with the idea of like, of like, I went to this weird program at NYU called Gallatin where you make like your own course of study. This is a school of individualized and interdisciplinary study. Um, and while I was there, like, so I'd only really listened to like, <laughs> with the exception of, I listened to, uh, Broadway uh, cast recordings all throughout like my childhood, a L- little bit of classical music, some jazz, and then I listened to, honestly, by extension of like m- going down a Jason Robert Brown wormhole, like I listened to all of his influences. I was like, I became obsessed with like Billy Joel and Elton John, and then I was like, from there, I was like, anybody who plays rock piano, I want to know all of them, like Ben Fold, Sarah Bareilles, like that, like like so many musical theater writers. I feel like. And when I got to college, like, I was like, wait a minute. There's, like, all this music that is just music. And I, like, for the four years of college, I really didn't listen to mu- mu- theater music anymore. I, like, discovered, like, regular people music. <laughs> and along, when, as I was doing that, I got very interested in, like, the idea of, like, how records are made and, like, how records are produced and, like, wanting to learn about, like, how to produce music. So I tried, a bas- I remember I, my composition teacher uh his name was joe church a really like important like person for me uh like learning um the first my first lesson with him my first composition lesson he said uh you're like my assignment to you for next week is you have to go out and buy this software called logic and i didn't know i had 
fuddled around with I used GarageBand a lot like in high school which we're using right now right this is yeah. mm-hmm. um but and I like there's like there was something called Logic Express which was out like it was like an older like Logic Express was like the strip it's like Photoshop Express right like a stripped down version of Full Logic that like to segue you from GarageBand to Logic huh. Pro I had fuddled around with that a little bit in high school but really GarageBand was my limit and Joe told me to go get Logic um so I did and I started fudding around with it and like basically over the course of college uh I took a bunch of classes in like music production uh because I studied a lot at this school called the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music as part of NYU, and that that was like a big part of of what we learned there. And what's interesting is, for like a hot second, I wanted to be like a pop music producer. Uh Like, And I was like, I want to like learn how to be like proficient, like not just proficient, like really, really good enough to like like actually produce like radio pop songs like in the software. And I would say what I quickly learned, but I didn't, unfortunately I didn't learn it quickly. (laughs) What I slowly learned was that I wasn't good enough and never would be. And I didn't have a natural proclivity for it. And I'm not a great producer, but what's interesting is in that arena. Right. Mm -hmm. But what happened was I learned the skills enough so that when I send someone a demo now, it's like, if I send someone a, a demo of like a pop song, they would be like, what is this production trash? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like this sounds like nonsense. But when I send people musical theater demos, they're like, what is this? It's so well produced. <laughs> yeah. Like that's actually, if I'm being perfectly honest in my research for this episode, I found a couple demos from Deathless on the Goodspeed website. Mm, yes. And I was like, these are so well produced. <laughs> <laughs> I literally had that thought. Yeah. It's all relative, right? Like I think that like in the, in the, we expect different things for different things. Like, yeah. I think if you listen to that as a record, you would maybe be disappointed. Like, if that was like I literally was like it. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I don't think Pitchfork is going to be uh, reviewing those anytime soon. But like, so what do you think is the difference? Like, the difference in those two sound qualities. Well, I mean, it's a couple things. I think that to go back to to answer the second part of your question, right, about like when to be organic versus acu- or acoustic yeah. and electronic, like. I think it's like twofold. I think on one hand, like when we're right, at least a lot of, I would say like 99% of the, of the music that I write for theater stuff is like, uh, is contemporary, right? Like what, what, like pop rock indie somehow like in that world, like I I like film score stuff. Um, but you know, when, when you're writing like a string quartet, like you're writing for string quartet, you don't write like a string quartet on piano and then it's translated to string quartet. Mm -hmm. So similarly, I think it's important to like, think about like writing for the thing that you're writing for versus Mm -hmm. like, like I, I, I feel like I've, I've met some writers who are like, I just write the songs and like someone else completely translates it into like what it's going to sound like. And for me, the beauty of this software and, and having some proficiency at it is being like, I want this show to sound like for in the in the world of Deathless, right? Like I want it to sound like these indie records, and I want it to be very, uh, very guitar driven and like this very specific sound that was like the, that I was going for. Like I didn't, I always was writing it with the idea of like I want it to be this sound. And using the software, I was able to like, as I was writing her very shortly thereafter, be like, this is what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. That being said, the best. I believe that the best songs are songs that like can be translated in just in general, like the, like teenage dream is the song that is so good that like, I think you could play it on the piano and sing Mm -hmm, teenage mm -hmm. dream or the guitar or with the full production Katy Perry tour. Right. Like, and I think the best songs are that. So it's like this weird uh, dissonance of like, 
I think you have to write for the thing. Like you have to think about not just orchestrate. You have to think about your ensemble and also be like, no, but strip it all away. A song is a song. It can stand I alone. I really love that as a rubric. I've never thought about that before. That like, could Amanda Palmer cover it on the ukulele? If so, there's something there. I think it has to be. Like, wait for it. Like, think about that song from Hamilton. You could sing that song right now. Like, on like, I could like play one note on the bass in the company. It'd be an amazing song. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you do, Julia? Like, are you because like for Red Vodka Me, which is the the show of yours yeah, yeah. that I know the best, that has a very specific thing going on sonically. Yes, I am with you that I think I like thinking orchestration and color first and writing to that. Because otherwise, I think I make sort of lazy, samey, yeah, non-appropriate choices if I'm just on piano. Yeah. And I think, you know, with that show, it's obvious because it all takes place within the internet. So I like the idea of having sort of, not otherworldly, but less natural sounding. Right. Like, tones. Which makes sense. It's interesting also, like, I feel like I've fallen into this, like, maybe false idea of, like, I associate, if I'm using Ableton, with a sense of, like, groove and beat and drive. Interesting. More than when I'm doing something. Because I, I have trouble, I think, getting a real sense of groove on piano accompaniments. It's just like it's not where my brain goes. Really? Yeah. I love listening to things with groove, but I don't think I'm a very natural like groove generator. That's that's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I like... For me, I think Ableton, I use it less to express the sound I'm already hearing and more to like discover like what weird things can this program do that will suggest like it's really like a compositional tool for yeah, you yeah yeah no it's fascinating but it's interesting i do misuse it because i use ableton i still think completely horizontally and i get that like you're supposed to be thinking in terms of like vertical texture more yeah that's what's funny is uh i don't know what that means like <laughs> like with ableton one of its great things is you can make like sort of like say like an eight bar loop and then have like say there's ten different like elements or textures that you can bring in and out, but I'll just like go from like bar one to bar sixty-five or whatever, just programming in like do this, then do this, then do this on oh, like one I instrument. See. Okay. The yeah. irony of all this is that like going back to giving Julia this like uh, introductory Ableton level in in the woods, like <laughs> it's really, really the blind leading the blind <laughs> because like I like like I. In terms of Ableton, I only can scratch the surface of what that software can do and what people who actually can use that software can do. Uh-huh. It's very powerful, but like, yeah. I I I hope you've I hope you've surpassed me. Oh, <laughs> not hardly, but I'm certainly putting your tips to good use. Okay, yeah, yeah. Click here. <laughs> <laughs> the compression machine now. Always compress. Right <laughs> that thing, yeah. It's interesting though. Like, I feel like it's when we talk about like musical theater, like. We're using like a, I don't know. I feel like we're using like a lot of compositional terms, but like, the, to me, what I love so much about musical theater writing is like, is it's sort of a cross. It. I feel like calling yourself a composer in musical theater is not quite really gen, like it, that's not right in some ways, and calling yourself a songwriter is also not totally right. Like both those things are not fully correct, right? Because huh. it's like there's like, it's really living in the intersection between the two, right? Like writing, like you're writing songs, right? Like, like just like, like any songwriter, right? Like, like the Paul Simons, Joni Mitchell's like it's songwriting, but then you're also, you get to use sort of like these extended compositional ideas because you're writing a score. Right. Mm. Right. Right. But at the same time, like, I don't know about you, but like when I like, when I'm like writing a song, it's like, 
it, it's it's songwriting, right? Like there's chord, it, like it's it. The process is very similar to just any songwriting. There's chord changes, there's structure, there's uh, like usually you know a verse, a chorus, a pre-chorus. Like they, there's a lot of repetition. It's songwriting, but yeah. then like the idea that we get to use tools like motif and like the some of the aspects of that song could suddenly like take a detour and become more composed it's i don't know that's the best part of this to me right it's like you get to do both and also neither sort of hmm. does that make sense yeah no well, i like my that. uh a question that i have that's been coming up from this episode is you talk about like finding your way into um musical theater writing from from music specifically but i'm curious sort of like how you like how you found your way into the storytelling aspect of it. Totally. Yeah. I think what's interesting is in terms of, I, I loved musical theater uh, like well before I fully appreciated all the nuances of the storytelling. Uh-huh. I think because just because I fell in love with the recordings, Yeah. but then the amazing thing, why musical theater is the gift that keeps on giving is that as you get, I, I think that, a but just just by consequence as a consequence of like when you're growing up musical theater is at least for me it was like one of the only musical opportunities for like singing and like and like just like that 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 sort of pulls you in but then as you get older right like it it gives you more and more rewards and like the storytelling is the thing that like kept me hooked and made me want to be a professional with Mm -hmm. it um i just think that there's nothing like i've never got like this thing happens when i watch a musical that i love at certain moments where if the storytelling fires on all the same if the lyric like the the like the craft of the lyric like is in perfect like harmony with the music and the storytelling beat all at once and like the production is killing it there's this feeling you get that is unlike any feeling i can i can only imagine it's what uh cocaine must feel like <laughs> and i haven't like i actually haven't done cocaine but i imagine that must be what it feels like i i'll never forget like like the first time that uh, that that alphabet flies in wicked you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. just that explosive and i feel like i'm talking about uh, all this from such a like childish perspective of like musical theater but it's but it's just like i sort of still think of it in that way for me like the uh, that that there's nothing like it right there's nothing like and that that the, the storytelling is the reason why if music the music was the reason i fell in love with musical theater the storytelling is the reason i decided i wanted to devote my life to it cool because i wanted to talk about it can i pimp out something that you said to me or you can say it yourself sure just about we were talking before sam was saying reading about deathless there's like this is like all like my favorite books i've been reading recently <laughs> so how did like the idea of the story for deathless come about Totally, yeah. Um, well, th- I'm glad. Dude, yeah. I'm glad. To oh hear my that. god, I, I I didn't know what the show was about. I knew our friend Johnny was in it. Oh my god, you know Johnny? Um, yeah, we he's the Johnny. best. But wait, um, how do you guys know Johnny? I know him through, through you. Yeah. So Johnny did a production of Spring Awakenings in Ithaca, New York, at the Hangar Theater that my dear friend Rich Silverstein music directed. So then Rich brought him into the fold. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Johnny was great. Yeah, he's so talented. But I so I knew it was happening. I didn't know what it was about. And uh, as I was researching this episode, I read the little synopsis and I was like, wait, this sounds like all the books that I love. Reading. <laughs> this like what we, uh, speculative. Yeah, um, like speculative fiction, yeah. like not like not where like the crazy thing is the gimmick or idea, but at the same time centered around this like super interesting speculative premise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm like very I'm I'm very sad I missed it. Oh dude, no, I'm 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 happy to hear that it sounds interesting to you. Um 
So I the I tend to be influenced on a storytelling perspective from like things that are not musical theater. Like I I like the 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 most formative like thing I probably the thing that actually made me want to be a writer was Lost. Like mm-hmm. I I watched Lost and it changed it truly changed my life. Uh-huh. Um and Lost and the work of Charlie Kaufman who wrote uh, <gasps> oh, like I love Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, he's so amazing. Much. Have you read he has a script for a movie musical? You know, I'm going to reveal something uh on this podcast that I shouldn't reveal, which is that uh, due to some some friends of friends of friends, I actually have read the script to that mu- the, Me too. The, you have? I love it. It's amazing, right? Yes. It's very good. How did I like that script is not supposed to be out and about. Yeah, I think I don't have it through any connection. I have it through some friend who's plugged in and got it, like, you know, leaked off the internet. Somehow. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. Your connection is better. That's so cool. No, though. I wish that it was I wish that it was made. Maybe I someday know. it will be. I hope so. And have you seen Synecdoche, New York? Yes. Oh, I love Synecdoche. Yeah. And that's like, it's like the best movie ever. And Eternal Sunshine. And Adaptation. And all, I'm being John Malkovich. I mean, they're all, <laughs> they're all that, that good. And did you guys watch Lost? Yeah. I yeah. like Lost. So, like... If you were to ask me, like, gun to my head, like, who's your biggest influence as a writer? Uh, hands down, it's, it would be Damon Lindelof, the show writer, the showrunner of Lost and The Leftovers, and uh, he worked on the Star Trek movie. And I mean, I've watched season one of The Leftovers, and I'm so excited to go back in. Yeah. Oh, Julia, you got to go home and do it right now. <laughs> like, it's the best. I think honestly, the reason I haven't is. I'm a big like curator for myself of like I watch a TV show and I'm like I'm in the perfect mood for this and the mood that I associate with the leftovers is so specific that I think that's why it's taken me this long to go to season two. Yeah, it's 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 specific and kind of bleak, yeah. but in a great way. <laughs> Agreed. Um, so in terms of da- in terms of the things that I'm interested in writing, I tend to be drawn to the TV and movie stories of like, I love high concept worlds that tell very, very, very intimate character stories within that world. I love that. Um, so in terms of that specific idea, I, um, I have a terrible, uh, existential crisis problem that flares up every, uh, few years or so, mainly around like large life changes. Mm-hmm. It's like, I like had a mini existential crisis when I like, got my driver's license because I was like, I've been looking forward to getting my driver's license since I like knew the cars were a thing, <sighs> and like, I'm never gonna do it again. Like, this is it. Like, I'm now 17. Like, and you, so we sort of measure our lives along the, this invisible timeline that we don't really think about, right? But it's the reason why birthdays are so kind of emotional, yeah, right? Yeah, I feel very emotional about birthdays. Yeah, because we, yeah, we're all trotting along on a one-way path, and like, we, you know, it forces you to stop and think, like, you know. That's why weddings are so emotional, I think. It's like, you only get married, well, maybe get married more than once, but, like, you might only get married once, and, like, this is, like, a very formative, like, milestone moment. For me, it hits me, like, crazy with kids, because you get to a point, and you're like, my life will either be a life where I had kids or a life where I didn't have kids. It cannot be both. There's no in-between, wow. and there's no second. You don't get yeah. to do it again. Yeah. Um. So I, f- I have meltdowns and I'm like, I'm going to die. My parents are going to die. My friends are going to die. We're all going to die. And also like everything, nothing's going to, ex- like, why are we doing, like, you know, the full, the full, the, the full boatload of meltdown. <laughs> and so the idea for this piece came out of really like a personal escapism for that. I was like, well, if there was a pill that you could take that would let you live forever and anybody who took it could live forever, like, does that solve the problem? Right. Like, let's just like, let's solve it in fiction for a second. Right. And so just pulling that string of like, okay, well then like, who are these people in this world? And like, like, obviously the most, 
the thing about Deathless is that it's about a world in which people don't die, but it takes place immediately in the aftermath of someone dying. So uh, I just wanted to explore like how the, the my, I don't know. The, I'm curious what what are the books that like you were like that you were referencing? Oh, I mean, I read this book called uh, oh shit, what's it called? The Immortalist. The Immor. Oh wait, no. Oh, oh god, what's it called? I can't remember the name. I've I I've just read a bunch that in of like a document where you were telling me like books to read, and uh, it's like in my phone somewhere. Um, the uh, The Immortalist is a different book that uh, is this called The Immortal, or it doesn't matter. It was about a world where there was an injection that people could take to to stop dying, and it like it got um spread out to like literally a global like how the how how it affects like. Gl- the world globally that's awesome um and it ends up with this like crazy cult running everything it's it's a really cool book i'm just really interested in these in things like that i've read uh uh, another thing i'm really interested in is like the concept of like knowing when you're gonna die yeah i've read a a bunch of books with like that conceit Including for me, Lance Rubin's Denton Little Death Days. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, I haven't mm-hmm. read that, but I've, it's I've, really fun. I really want to. It looks so cool. It reminds me of, I'm trying to remember how to formulate this hypothetical, but to put to both of you, if you were going to die whenever it is that you're going to die, say now, but you can have extra life, you can go back as far as you want, how far back would you go? What do you mean? Like, let's say we're all going to die in the year, like, and I'll pick something really far, like, what's really far from now? Like, 2200 or something. Like, there's a fixed end date on your life, but you can go back and you could say I'm born in World War II, or you could say I'm born in Victorian era, or you could be born, like, at the time of Christ oh, or whatever. I see the question. How yeah. far would you extend your life back? Whoa. Like, before you think, like, this isn't pleasant. Like, I would just as well skip that. That's a fascinating question. That is really fascinating. My gut impulse was to say, I'm going to go back to the fucking beginning. Like, I want to, like, as much long, yeah, like, yeah, I want to yeah. do the whole thing. But then I guess I really thought about, like, w- like living through the Dark Ages. Yeah. Like, I, I it might, be, like, I, the, maybe the Renaissance might be the be- the beginning mm-hmm. of the tolerable uh, era. But I, I my gut was to say, like, the beginning of time, and now I think maybe the Renaissance. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I'm gay. <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's an interesting question. I've never heard th- Julia, that's really an interesting question. I've never heard it anything posed like that before. I love that. What would you what would you go back? I think I think I can Renaissance is a good answer. I think maybe a little later, but like around the eighteen hundreds or so. I so think fairly I recent. Can, yeah. In terms of the arc of time. Like yeah, in it's very true. recent. Like I think like really having to like run around like chasing animals to eat them, I think I would have a rough go of it. But how does it work if you know you're going to die in 2200? Then you know that you would survive eating the animals in the yeah. I guess that's a good Sahara. point. I'm not going to survive because also yeah, I get worried about like there being no medicine. Like I don't even if I won't die, I don't want to have some like horrible botched surgery before we know how germs work. Right, like maybe you lost an arm or something yeah, because yeah. of the botulism, or actually botulism wouldn't take your arm, but yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, it's, yeah, for sure. So that's the stuff, I mean, like, those are the stories that I'm most interested in just sort of consuming and telling. Um, are the, and I think that the the wonderful thing about high concept, again, there's a big distinction between, like, I think sci-fi and high concept stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I'm very much not somebody interested in the mechanism of, like, for Deathless as an example, like, how the pill works or, like, 
I'm actually less interested in like the global ramifications of it. Like I really am curious about it's like how it affects though. human people. I want, I would love to, no, 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 I would totally read it. I'll totally also like my version's a pill. That's an injection. So you don't have to take a shot in my world. It's better. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Better. yeah. 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 Good point. Um, I just looked it up. It's called the postmortal. Oh, it sounds really cool. Yeah. Who wrote it? Drew McGarry. He also wrote this book called the hike that I also highly recommend. What's that one about? Um, I don't want to tell you. Wow. I, now I really want to read I it. I was telling Julia about it as I was reading it. I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't, I'm still reading it, but like, I'm not really getting it. And it literally took till the last chapter that I was like, whoa, this is so cool. I don't think I followed up and heard that last part of the review. Yeah. You got to go on show. What's, what's the, what's the, where you review their shows yourself? So hmm? We talked about the beginning of this episode. Oh yeah. Um, show score. Yeah. The cool oh, show yeah. score for the hike. Oh no. Book well, cause, score. uh, there is like Goodreads. Goodreads. Yeah, I should yeah, post about well. it there. Be like, just make it to the last chapter. <laughs> I mean, Damon, Damon Lindelof, again, the guy who sort of created those shows we were talking about, he, he says something in an interview that, that I've never forgotten that I think is so true. And he talks about it for episodic television, but I think it applies for any kind of narrative content, which ooh, content narrative <laughs> storytelling. Um, which is he loves to do this move where you, the audience is behind the storytelling for the first twenty minutes of an episode. Mm-hmm. We're like, where are like I don't even fully understand where we are, right? And then you catch up to understanding the storytelling just as an emotional moment is is really climaxing. Huh. And if those two can work in 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 harmony and in, in, in sync with each other it's an impact the likes of like you know what I mean it hits so hard you're like oh my god wait a minute I know where we are it's because that's her wedding oh my god wait the, her wedding that means that, you know what I mean and like if you figure it out as the emotion is hitting it fires on all cylinders wow. and I think if you can add music to that equation and add yeah. song to that equation it's yeah. like you just want to have that that's seizure such moment. a neat marriage of like the cerebral and the heart of it yeah yeah that's the stuff that I, I just think that there's those magic moments. It's all about like magic. Storytelling yeah. is magic if it if it can be in sync with the emotion. I want to ask you a question because I, it felt like you were about to start saying something that I kind of cut you off. But like you were saying, like you're not super interested in like this sort of like global scale of this thing, right? Um, and I, this is the thing I've been thinking a lot about lately: is like, is that scale even possible in musical theater? Like. I, I am also fully interested in the, the very human element of it. And I think musical theater is a great venue to explore that. But like, is like, this is the thing I've, I think we've talked about it a little bit. And the thing I've been wondering a, a lot about li- lately is like, is there a right medium for a particular story? You know? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing, so for me, again, I'm really like, the stories that I'm most interested in telling are ones that illuminate the, like the really human parts of the human condition, right? Like death being obviously one of them, but Mm -hmm. like these ideas of like what I, 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 the more existential aspects of like why we're here, what we're doing, like that kind of thing. Um, And for me, that's just that those are the things that I, and you, you feel the most, I think like with personal stories versus like how wars are waged that that's Mm -hmm. just the stuff that moves me the most. So that's just the stuff I'm interested in, which is not to say that there's, there's a lot of merit in how the globe is changed by a a high concept idea. It's just not the stuff that really moves me in Mm -hmm. the same way. But in terms of the scale of what, of the stories that musicals can tell, you know, it's interesting because I think that in general, what musicals do differently than plays is that they tend to be more cinematic, right? Like musicals generally have a lot of locations. They generally have like, or more locations than most plays. They tend to be told 
over a longer period of time, right? And time sort of moves weird in a lot of musicals, right? Mm. It moves fast and clippy versus in plays, you tend to stay in a naturalistic sense of time more. I mean, do, mm. would you guys agree with that? I hadn't thought about it before now. Like, uh, I mean, there's definitely a world of plays where they they throw that out but like i totally I, I agree with you that like it tends to be more that yeah the, correct not to box in plays they have to be naturalistic in unity of time and space but i think that most musicals tend to move very fluidly through through time and space uh-huh. I, I i think um and so for that it, that being said like i think that it's it's actually I think some musicals want to tell bigger stories. Like I think telling smaller stories in musicals is actually kind of harder sometimes mm. because like for like one of the problems that I I sometimes are hit up against is like songs want to end scenes and then you want to go somewhere else very often mm-hmm. I find. And it's like very hard to like end a song, applause, and now we're back in the same scene. It feels weird because someone just sang. Yeah. Well, how I mean, this is a thing we've also talked about, but I'm curious based on this is like, do people have to applaud after a song? It, like, it, or is that the sticking point or is it just the singing at all? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny you asked that question uh, at this part of the conversation because we tried something in the production of Deathless at Goodspeed, uh-huh. which was uh, par- partially because I, I sort of had a, I'm, I'm, I'm changing my views on this like <laughs> based on a- after, after we tried this, but uh-huh. like I had an allergy to buttons. Uh-huh. Oh, me too. Like I didn't yeah. like buttons. Same. I was like, "This is corny." Like, dunk. Like <laughs> it's like like I. It's just so. I felt really corny to me. <laughs> I'm glad that you feel that way, Julia. So, but based on how that scores right, I wrote the score with no buttons. I was like, "There's gonna be no buttons in this score. It's just gonna sort of like." Sometimes songs will end. Sometimes they'll just fade back into scenes. And my director, um, Tina, like she engineered the show in a way where you. To, to to really discourage applause. Yeah. So we would generally not have any applause before maybe one moment, like um, 80 minutes into the show. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it didn't work. I think it didn't mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Um, because A, audiences were so conditioned to, you're in a musical, you applaud. So there was a bunch of... Sure. Oh, I'm like, yeah. And then they're taken out because yeah. they're thinking yeah. about whether they should, like, should I applaud. Like, what are the rules? What's the decorum? Like, I don't know whether to applaud. And second is p- audiences like want to like... Someone just sang for you, goddammit. They wanted to like, tell you that they liked it. Like, but, and the combination of all that, it, it didn't work, and it was distracting. It took people out. Okay. And I think that, like, th- I think it's a question. I certainly haven't solved it, but it's like, how do you, wh- the transition points, the transition point into song is hard enough as it is, right? You're like, we're talking, yeah. and now we're singing. And, like, <laughs> like justifying that in, with, the, with the right amount of emotional stakes is already hard, but it's like, coming out of that moment into a, Talking is just inherently more naturalistic. We're not singing this interview, right? Yeah. That segue back down is really tricky. I haven't, I haven't cracked it. Have, have you, as an actor, like had to play that? What's it like for you playing that beat That's of like question. that I'm transition trying, point? I'm trying to think of examples when I, when a song ends and it, it's right back into a scene, and I'm not thinking of any off the top of my head. If I'm being honest, and I'm trying Are to think, is there anything in Lonely Girl? I mean, there's like coming out of someone else singing like after Kyle sings like oh let yeah let and you if down. I'm being honest that was one of the stickiest moments for me in that huh. show um but that was also a moment where we were experimenting with whether or not that song gets applause yeah um because I agree with you it makes me think now 
this is sort of like at the beginning where I was like, could someone else just mark it for me? Like, if a button has to be aural, like, couldn't the lights just do something and so they get their clap release, but it doesn't oh. have to be like, bonk? That's an interesting question. Yeah, that's a great question. Do you find, like, as you're playing, as you're going into song, are you, like, is there an adjustment there for you of, like, as that's heightening, as the, as the, as the beat is heightening, of, like, how you're approaching the character? Not really, if I'm being honest. Um, my goal is usually to make the, to just, to just feel like everything that's happening is coming from the same person. So like I I feel I'm I'm not quite answering the question you're asking <laughs> but like I feel I would feel very strange if like there was like a noticeable bump in emotional energy like from the moment before I started singing to the to the moment after. Yeah. But um I think I think that's not my job. I think that's the job of the writer to like identify the moment where the stakes are building or whatever, you know, like you're you know, it's too big to talk about, so you sing about it, whatever. Like, I don't think that's my job. I think my job is just riding the wave of the show itself. I think you're right. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think about that consciously. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't you, now that you're bringing it up, I'm sort of like, why aren't all of my intros way longer? That's all, Rob. <laughs>